Amen, amen. Hey, welcome to Victory Church. Do me a favor, high five somebody if you can. Maybe wave at them from a distance. If you're not near anybody, just let them know you're here. Say good morning. Welcome to Victory Church. Hey, happy 4th of July, everybody. How you doing? Happy Independence Day. It's the 4th. How many of you got plans to, to fire up the grill and get in the pool later? Or if you don't, right now you're looking for whose hands up so you can go be the, at their pool, right? We need a community church pool. That's what we're looking for. So anybody in here says, hey, I got a big enough pool. Everybody come over. Uh, we can just cook out and have a good time. I do want to take a second to celebrate any of our service men or women. Uh, obviously, we're free because of that. So I just want to do this real quick. If you're in here and you've served in any capacity, man or woman, would you do me a favor and just stand for us for a second? I know, I know it's Fort July holiday weekend. Do me a favor. If you've served, would you stand, please? There we go. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We just want to celebrate you. Just want to celebrate you. Thank you so much. And real quick, while you're still standing, hold on, while you're still standing, still stand. If, if you have a spouse or family, would they stand? And I'm going to tell you why in a second. Would you guys stand? Let us celebrate you real quick. Come on, let us celebrate you real quick. Stand up. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the reason why I wanted to do that, I, I, I have close friends that have served, and I know the weight it is on the family and the spouse as well. And so while we'd certainly celebrate those who have put their life on the line and served, we definitely celebrate those that have held the house down while they are gone. And so we just thank you so much. Uh, we don't take lightly what, that you, what you have done and what you are doing. And so on behalf of Victory Church, thank you so much. Uh, let me just hit a couple of announcements before we jump into the word this morning. Uh, right off the bat, if you are visiting for the first time, uh, whether you're in person or online, we'd love to be able to connect with you. And so there's going to be a number coming up on the screen where you can text to connect. And so there's just a number, that uh, 31996. So you put that in the number area. You text VICTORY18 to that. It's going to send you back a digital connection card. You can fill that out. We'd love to get that information and connect with you this week. Do our best to kind of move you forward in connection. We like to say move you from your uh, seat to your feet. And so again, whether you're online with us or whether you're in, in the house this morning, uh, there's also some little boxes you can check at the bottom if you're interested in more information, as well as an other box where you can put any kind of questions you might have, and we could just reach out and answer. Also, if you're looking for a way to give, maybe you've been attending or you're watching online and say, hey, I would really love to give to what Victory's doing. Uh, you, we do three, you can give three ways here. Number one is online through our app or our website. So you can visit our website, our app, and give that way. You also can do text to give. So just like we do text to connect, you can do text to give. And then also, if you are here in person as you're walking out today in the little lobby area, there'll be a little black box. If you'd like to give via check or cash, you can just drop it in there. We're, we're doing our best. We haven't been running the, the, the offering buckets through because we're doing our best to, to limit the contact in this season. But again, if, if you support us, if you're looking to support us, thank you so much. I'd, I'd love to share. I try to do my best to share frequently what your money is doing, uh, not only in the church, but in the community. And we had the opportunity this past Friday to do something really awesome. A lot of you got to come out and hang out with us. Uh, thank you for those who served. What we did every Friday night, oh, I'm sorry, every Friday night, every 4th of July, uh, our, our community puts together this, this 4th of July celebration, I guess you would say. And so it, was, it fell on July 2nd this year. The community comes out, live music, food, the whole deal. We got the opportunity to set up a tent, a booth, and not only did, were we able to give every person free glow-in-the-dark necklaces and bracelets, and that's really important, guys. Let me tell you why it's important. There's people out there, they're selling stuff, they're doing the best they can to make money, to make profit. We're not there to make profit, we're there to serve our community. And so we were able to go and just give, I mean, people were just coming and taking, everybody had our necklaces on while the fireworks were going on. On those necklaces were a little card, a little informational card about the church, so they all got to learn about the church. But the coolest part about it, because of your faithful giving, we rented a dunk tank 
And we connected with the city officials and the mayor, uh, Mary Esther Reed, and then the town manager, Brian Hercules, and a few of our councilmen, Steve Sullivan, they, they got in the dunk tank and it was just an awesome opportunity. Our community came through and they, they heckled them and they threw, it was one, or three balls for one dollar. And so we, a bunch of people came through and paid to do that. And then we said from the get-go that 100% of the proceeds would go to the local Nourish Food Bank here in Smyrna. And then we, as Victory, because of your faithfulness, said whatever we make from the dunk tank, we will match. And so this week, I will be able to go drop off a check to Nourish Food Bank for $500. Isn't that awesome? Come on, come on, give God praise real quick. That's incredible. It's incredible. So we were able to do all kinds of things. We were able to dunk our mayor and give money to the Nourish Food Bank. So it's just an awesome, awesome opportunity. Um, I do want to do a quick shout out uh, to our youth ladies in the house. Where y'all at, youth ladies? Let me see. Whoa, let me hear you. So y'all don't know this, but last night we had our first youth ladies sleepover, all right? And then Miss Melanie made them all come to the front row. So y'all might see some snoring happening down here in the front. I'm going to try to yell in this direction. They've all got Starbucks as we speak right now, all right? So just letting y'all know. But hey, I'm so excited. I heard great things. Uh, my doorbell might have rang at midnight last night. So I was sleeping because I was in the presence of the Lord. But Miss Darla heard it. Y'all woke her up. So good job. Um, last but not least before we get into the word, starting August 8th. August 8th is going to be our series at the movies, all right? Are y'all excited for this? This is the funnest series we do all year here at the Victory. We haven't been able to do it in a couple years because of COVID. We're calling this one the sequel, and what will happen is I'll come up and use different movie clips to preach. We'll have popcorn, Coca-Cola. There'll be characters out there. It's going to be incredible. Start inviting people now. Soon, we're going to put invitations in your hand. You're going to see invitations on uh, social media and different things. Start telling people August 8th, be here at the movies, the sequel. You don't want to miss it. Amen? All right, you ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bibles, open to the book of Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Uh, let me give a quick update to where we are as we are opening up to Acts 7. We just went through Acts 6 last week, and the gospel is spreading. The church is exploding. It's growing, and persecution is happening, and the, the, the Christ followers, the church, is being persecuted. And funny enough, persecution has actually helped the church grow because people have understood that, hey, since they're being persecuted and still preaching the gospel, this must be a real thing. And so the church is actually growing. And that we, the six and seven kind of focus on an individual by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was put in leadership over a certain area of ministry. And in Acts chapter six, some people got mad at him. And so they started twisting his words, started gossiping about him, and it ended up getting him arrested. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to be murdered. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, that's what happens at the end of it. So, so he is the first martyr, New Testament martyr for the gospel. Um, but I want to kind of show you what happens in the process of getting there. And to do that, before we get into Acts 7, I want to go back to Acts 6 just for a moment and read a couple of verses, introduce Acts 7, and then we'll go from there. So we're actually going to start reading again in Acts 6. You stay in Acts 7. We start reading again in Acts 6, and here's what it said. It says, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. So these people that were gossiping were stirring up the elders and the crowd and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen, that's when he's arrested, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin, which was basically counsel, trial, judge, court, whatever you want to be, the Sanhedrin. Now, here's what's important. They produced false witnesses who testified 
that this fellow never stopped speaking, watch this, against this holy place, which they were talking about the temple, okay? He never stops blaspheming about the temple and the law. It's important that you see those two things because when, he said the, when they said the temple, what they meant was their church, basically. He won't quit speaking about blaspheming about the church and then the law. The law was basically how people should act if they were going to be considered godly, okay? So they say he's blaspheming the church and he's blaspheming what it means basically to be a Christian. For we have all heard him say, that this Jesus of Nazareth is going to come and destroy this place, the temple, which he does and rebuilds, and then change the custom Moses handed down to us. Again, the law, Ten Commandments, so on. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked at Stephen intently, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And that's where we ended last week. We talked about having peace while people are gossiping about you. But there's just two, really just one verse in Acts 7 I'm going to read, and I'm going to paraphrase the rest. And the first verse in Acts 7 goes like this. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And to this, he replied. Now stop it right there. I got to explain this, but to do that, first let me set up the message. I want to talk to you this morning from the idea two truths and a lie. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember that? Growing up, there's this game, two truths and a lie. And basically how it worked is if you were playing this with somebody, you would come up with, with three facts about yourself. Two were true and one was a lie. And the person that you were talking to had to try to decide which one is true and which ones are, which, which ones are true and which one is a lie. Jimmy Fallon does a version of this game now on his, his Tonight Show. It's pretty hilarious. But I want you to understand what's happening because as I break down Act 7 for you, we are going to be shown two truths and one lie. So in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being given the opportunity to defend himself, okay? Acts 6, he's arrested. They say, hey, Stephen, you are blaspheming against the temple. You are blaspheming against what it means to be a religious person. And so it opens up in Acts 7 with them saying, are these charges true? In other words, Stephen, you have the floor. Defend yourself. Tell us how you're not blaspheming. Say something different than what you've been saying. Now's your chance to backpedal. Now's your chance to say something to get you out of this moment. But Stephen had zero interest in defending himself. In fact, what he wanted to do was to proclaim the truth about Jesus in a way that people could understand. And so because of that, the reason I'm not reading Acts 7 because of that, Stephen goes into a 51-verse sermon. I wasn't sure on 4th of July that you would be down to sit here and allow me to read 51 verses, and so I'm going to encourage you to do it on your own, but I am going to paraphrase it. So Stephen then preaches 51 verses, y'all, 51 verses. He preaches this sermon, and the entire sermon is based around three main characters, Abraham, Moses, and Joseph. And the reason why he's preaching about them is because the people he's talking to clearly know who they are. These are the patriarchs of faith. They've been listening to the stories of them since they were small children. Because the rituals back then were you went to school and you literally were taught the first five books of the Bible. Okay, So they were taught all about Abraham. They were taught all about Moses. They were taught all about Joseph. They knew if, if they paid attention... 
They knew every detail about Abraham. They knew that God called him at an old age and told him to go outside and look at the stars and count the stars and however many stars he counted is how many nations he would have and that his wife laughed when they found out they were gonna have kids at such an old age. They knew that. They knew that Moses' mom had put him in the water and that he had been, had been gathered and, and, and he had accidentally, or not accidentally, he had killed a man and they were judging him and now he was leading people out of Israel. They knew all of that. They knew that Joseph's brothers didn't like him, that he had the, the technicolor coat, right? He had the coat of all the different, little Gucci coat of all the different colors and, and had the incidents with his family. They knew all of this. So what Stephen does when they put him up on trial and they say, hey, now's the time to defend yourself. You have blasphemed the, God, or, or the temple. You have blasphemed what it means to be a religious person. Now's the time to defend yourself. And Stephen sits back and he begins to remind them about Abraham and about Moses and about Joseph because Stephen wanted them to see two truths, that God had never confined himself to one place, truth number one, and that the Jewish people had a habit of rejecting those that God sent to them, truth number two. Stephen said, I'm not gonna defend myself, but I am going to bring to light Two truths that you are confused about. Two truths that somehow you've been studying your entire life, but you have forgot. Truth number one is that our God never confines himself to one place. Truth number two is that Jewish people, you people, have a reputation of rejecting the people that God sends to you. So here we go. Truth number one was the truth about the church. So we will go to Acts chapter 7, but we're going after Stephen's sermon, towards the end. Verse 45, he says, after receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations that God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David. The presence of God was being carried in the Ark of the Covenant, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Here's what Stephen is saying. Before Solomon built the temple, the presence of God went wherever you went. He said, if Joshua went this way, the presence of God went there. If you went that way, the presence, you carried the presence of God with you everywhere you went. And then eventually, somebody said, hey, we should build a house. Solomon said, let's build a house for the presence of God. Let's build this incredible building and we can house the presence of God there, and so the temple was built. And it was built for good reason. There was good heart behind it. We wanted to do something to celebrate and worship God, but until we built the temple, the presence of God was fluid. It went wherever we went, and then Stephen stepped up and he said this, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. Stephen was trying to preach a truth where he said, listen, You've read Deuteronomy, you've read Genesis, you've read Exodus, you know that the presence of God has never been confined to one location, not even the temple, not even the church. One of the most consistent messages of Jesus Christ, I preached this when we studied through the book of John's. John, one of the most consistent messages of Jesus 
was that we no longer have to come to God, but that through Jesus, God has come to us. Jesus was showing up because the religious understanding was that if you wanted anything, you had to go to the temple. Matter of fact, what, what was happening with the Jewish people was just this flat-out understanding that if you wanted to pray to God, if you wanted to experience the presence of God, if you wanted to be healed by God, if you wanted anything to do with God, you had to travel and bring your family to the temple. That's what was being taught. That's what was understood. And so when Stephen stepped up and said, no, now because of the new covenant, now because of Jesus Christ, God comes to you, people were like, whoa, 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 you're blaspheming against the temple. You're talking bad about the temple. He said, no, no, I'm not talking bad about the temple. But God has never confined himself to one place. And you have confined God's presence to the temple. And you're telling people that if they want the presence of God, they have to travel all the way to your temple. And so he breaks out Abraham and he says, Abraham didn't have to do that. He said, the presence of God came to Abraham, Abraham's house. He said, Abraham, before, uh, Abraham you know, before they even got to the promised land, Abraham was experiencing the presence of God. He said, Moses experienced the presence of God in the wilderness. God talked to him through a burning bush. He didn't have to be in the church building. And he said, in Joseph, Joseph, God was talking to him all the time in his house. Then he talked to him when his brothers put him in the cistern. Then he talked to him when he got sold into slavery with Potiphar. And then God's presence was with him when, when uh, he went into prison. And then God's presence was with him when he took the this right hand of the Pharaoh. He said God was always with him wherever they went. God was with Abraham here and there. He was with Moses here and there. He was with Joseph here and there. Yes, he's in the temple, but he's not confined to the temple is what Stephen is saying. He says, listen, when we confine God to the church, we communicate that there's only one place that we can go to meet with God. And the danger with that, church, is when we communicate that God's presence is in one place, what we start doing is we start compartmentalizing our relationship with God to one and a half hours on Sunday. We start to compartmentalize the, 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 the presence of God and the peace of God and the love of God and the miracles and the healing and the authority and the victory of God to a 45-minute sermon, 25-minute worship set. And then we walk out, watch, and God is absent from the rest of our lives. God is here on Sunday from 10 o'clock to 11.30 if Troy goes long. But on Monday, I don't know. Tuesday, no. Wednesday, no. Thursday, no. Friday, no. Saturday, heck no. And we have communicated that God's presence is here when in reality, God's presence is wherever we are. Darla and I got the opportunity uh, beginning of this week to take our kids to Holiday World. Have you ever heard about this place, Holiday World? We had heard a lot about it. We had never been. Uh, it's located in a place called Santa Claus, Indiana, right? That's a real thing. It really exists. It's about two and a half hours away. And Santa Claus, Indiana is exactly how you would assume Santa Claus, Indiana is like, all right? Like, it's, it's a population of about 1,400 people. 
And so we get there. Darla almost got us murdered. We literally were almost like the, the, the definition of one of those new documentary horror movies because what happened was uh, we get there and we, we get in our hotel. The hotel looks like it was built, I don't know, in the 1820s. And so, you know, uh, we're, we're going through it. We're trying to figure out. You walked in the front door and there was the sink. It wasn't in the bathroom. It was in the living room. Very interesting design. I think it's coming here. I think I'll go to New York first and then it'll come here. Don't worry. Um, and so we're, we're, we're in Indiana, and we go to eat dinner one night at this little Mexican restaurant. I, I had to ask the lady who worked there, I was like, what do you do in Santa Claus, Indiana with your life? Like, what do you do? And she said, well, Friday night, we go to the Walmart. And I was like, exactly. There we go. There we go. And she said, she said, but the Walmart is 35 minutes away. She said, so, you know, that's, that, we're only going to do that if we're really wanting to party. So I was like, okay, I got you. So... Um, we leave, we go to get ice cream at this little hole-in-the-wall ice cream place. It had, it, it, you couldn't walk in. You had to walk up to the window. They had two windows, same girl working both windows, all right? Didn't make any sense. Like, this was the order window, and then she walked over here and gave you your food. I'm like, you could have done that out of the same window. Let's be honest. Yeah, and like, I, I could come in here. I could take Santa Claus, Indiana up immediately. We'd, be able, we'd have like 1,600 people if I was there. And so we get our ice cream, and we sit down on these little park benches, and Veda and Casey are sitting on like a kitty park bench. And there's this guy, I'm watching him because I'm, I'm always on my, you know, I'm always ready. Memphis blood, you know what I mean? And so I see this guy go up to the window, he's ordering his food, I'm watching, he's looking at me, I'm looking at him, he's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and we're the only two people in Santa Claus, Indiana. And so he, he's, he's, he hadn't said anything to us. Well, Casey Ray gets up and the picnic table tips over, and Veda, if I, and so he sees it, and he goes, that happened to us the other night. But we were adults, and I was like, oh, this, is, this, is, this has already been great. And so he walks over and he starts talking to us. And he goes, where are y'all staying? And Darla's like, at the Baymont Inn. I'm like, shut up. Like, what you doing? You can't just tell people where we're, like there's two hotels in this whole place. He can kill everybody in about 30 minutes. He's guaranteed to get us. Like, you gotta be quiet. And so he goes on. He's like, I just, you know, y'all here for Holiday World? We were like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I used to work there. He's a matter of fact, your hotel's on my family's farm. And I'm like, oh my, I got to get out of here. Like, this is, this is where Texas Chainsaw Massacre happened. You know what I mean? Like, I got to go. And uh, he says, yeah, I used to work there when it was called Santa Claus Land. I was like, I didn't know that there was a worse name than Holiday World. And Santa Claus Land is it. So, so we ended up going to the park. I can tell you, I can tell you so many stories about this place. But as we're going there, there's this little area of stores, and it's called, like, the Santa Claus Land Area. And so I'm like, we got to go there. And so we pull in, and there's, like, the Santa Claus Grocery Store and the Santa Claus Ornament Store and the Santa Claus Christmas Store. So we go in all of them because Darla loves Christmas. And so we're walking through all these stores, and she's like, babe, babe, we got to buy something. I'm like, no, we don't. Like, we don't. We definitely don't. And she's like, but it's Christmas, and I want Christmas. And I'm like, chill out, okay? So... She's shopping, there's Christmas music going. Y'all, it is June, 91 degrees outside. And they're in there going like, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, riding down Santa Claus Lane. Yeah. And the woman behind the desk looks like she hates her life. And so I walked up to her and I was like, let me ask you a question. What is it like to live and work where it's Christmas 365 days a year? It's like, because where I'm from, America, we only, we only do Christmas one month. Like, Christmas starts December 1, it ends December 31st, except for some of you psychos that, like, start Christmas, like, a month early, or your lights are still up in February. You know what I'm talking about? Like, some of y'all need Jesus. But, but, like, in real people, real humans, we only do Christmas in December. So I'm like, what's that like for you? And I had to ask her, I was like, is it ruining it for you? And she was like, yeah, kind of. 
Like, man, it's crazy. I was just, I was blown away by an environment where something for us, when it's only like one month a year, for them, it's every day of the year. And it got me thinking. The church was never meant to be our single weekly experience with God. Right? That, that was never its intent. Now, it's, it's what it's become. For the average person, the hour and a half that they're at church is the only time they actually see scripture, unless somebody posted on their Facebook status. It's the only time they actually hear worship music. It's the only time they're actually in, in their mind around the presence of God. What we've done in our culture, in America at least, is we've created this mindset that church service is the only moment throughout the week where you experience God. And what Stephen is preaching is this. Jesus is bigger than Sunday. Like, like that's, that's what he came to preach. It's like you have to understand that it's, it's not, it's, he's not restricted. He's not confined to this place. He's bigger than Sunday. Now, I will say this. I think we've done it to ourselves because we started using certain lingo. For example, we say things like, we're in the house of the Lord. And so people who are new to the Lord or new to faith might go, oh, okay, so this is where he lives. Like, this is, this is where he is. Like, this is the house of the Lord. Or we say things like, you know, uh, his presence is here. And so people are like, okay, this is where. And so they start connecting the dots because, again, they're young in their faith that this must be where we come when we want to worship God. But the presence of God has no boundaries. The presence of God goes wherever we go. His spirit dwells in us. The church is not a building it's a being, okay? So the church is not where his presence is confined to. His presence is in us, which means wherever we are, the church is there. For example, we are having church right now. Like, we are having church. This is church. But Friday night, we had church at Lee Victory Park. There was multiple conversations about God. We had an opportunity to connect with people. Me and Kyle are meeting with this guy who does youth ministry. I'm going to tell you about that later. It's all this cool different stuff. We're having church on a Friday night. Darla and I had multiple conversations separately this week with people at the YMCA about Jesus. We were having church at the YMCA. I had a two and a half hour phone call with somebody. I had church on the phone. We had church in Santa Claus, Indiana. Because I was with my family, spending time with my family. What I'm telling you is wherever you are, the presence of God dwells. He is here. He is in this church because the Bible says that when one or two or two or more are gathered, so his presence is there. Because we're here, he's here. That's why he's here, because you're here. The presence of God is with us. So yes, he is in church, and church is great. But when you leave out of church today, he doesn't stay here. He goes with you. He'll be with you at the barbecue tonight. He'll be with you as you illegally shoot fireworks tonight. His presence is with you wherever we go. Now, there is no greater statistic that proves this. Oh, I'm sorry. That proves that we have miscommunicated this than the statistic I'm about to tell you. Because as I'm sitting back going, man, the enemy has done this phenomenal job at lying to us about the purpose of church. He's done a phenomenal job. And here's how I know he succeeded. Because according to Barna, statistics, very, very reliable statistic, watch this. Christians, not unbelievers, 
not unsaved people, not atheists, Christians. They polled Christians, and out of Christians, one, they, I'm sorry, they attend church one out of four Sundays. Now think about this, okay? Please, please, I don't feel convicted yet. I'm not there yet. Back up a second. Christians, Christ followers, believers, in our culture today are attending church one out of four Sundays. One out of one a month is what they say, which means at the end of a year, the average Christian has gone to church 12 times in a year. Now listen, before you get mad at me and start throwing things, I'm not telling you that you have to feel guilty for going on vacation with your family. I'm not telling you that it's bad if you go to the lake with your, that's not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. When there, there's a family right now who are sold out to the church and they're in Florida this weekend. I'm not gonna call them and be like, you're going to hell, you didn't come to church this Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, like it, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but back up for a second and listen to me. When, when Christians, Christ believers, are going to church 12 times a year, that speaks to me that the enemy has done a good job in miscommunicating the purpose of the church. Am I right? So let me, let me just show you what I mean by this. I'm going to give you the purpose of the church. Because what Stephen's communicating is it's not the only location where the presence of God's confined. His presence is here, but it's not the only place. Let me give you the purpose of the church. We communicate it in four Gs. And y'all know our four Gs. Grow God, give and go. But let me break them down to where you see what the purpose of the church is. The number one purpose of the church is for you and I to grow in our knowledge of God. That means you come into church and you listen to the sermon and you learn scripture. You learn that the Bible is not scary, that we can read it. You start to understand it better. Maybe you do the study guides that we put on the website. At the end of, and because of your relationship with a church, you are growing in your knowledge of God. You get saved. Church, it's not necessarily the place for people to get saved, but that is where people often get saved. But the church purpose is for you to grow in your knowledge of God once you get saved. It's why we expository preach, because I want you to be able to read Acts when you get home. Secondly, watch this, the church is to guide you by, by discipleship, all right, in your relationship with God, watch this, through other believers, that's why it's important to be in the house, because you can grow in your knowledge by the sermon, but now you've got questions with the knowledge that you have. And so you, provide, or you surround yourself with a group of friends, small groups, discipleship classes, whatever that looks like, dream teams, and you discuss what you're learning, and iron sharpens iron, and you are guided into being a more mature Christian. Make sense? Then the church is the house for you to give out of your time, talent, and tithes. The Bible speaks clearly on this, that whatever church you go to is the church where you should give of your time, serving, whatever it looks like, your talent, right? God's given you this gift, this skill, this knowledge, and you're using it for the kingdom, and then your money, your tithe. That's what it's for. And then last but not least, the church is the same house where you are sent from. It's where you go. It's where you are given opportunity to do outreach in your community or globally. We are sending a group to Costa Rica in 2022. Let me hear it real quick for our missions trip. Right. And then we have constant uh, uh, opportunities to serve. We served in our community Friday. We've got an opportunity coming up at the end of this month where we'll serve. This is the purpose of the church. And I know y'all know this. But number one, it's good to be reminded of it. 
Number two, you need to know how to communicate it. Because when you are talking to people who believe in Jesus and they think, or they want to believe in Jesus, and they think the purpose of the church is just to go and get saved, and then watch this, they'll return the next time that they've fallen away from God. Am I right? Isn't that what the church has become? When's the last time you went to church? When I got saved. Because I got saved and I was good. But then I found myself in sin again. I came back to church so I could get saved again. That's not how it works. You get saved wherever. You can get saved in your bedroom. You can get saved at work. But you come to the church so you can grow. God, give and go. We have to remember the purpose of the church. Stephen says, y'all are lying. Y'all are telling people that, the, that this is the only place that the presence of God can be. And that's a lie. The truth about the church is his presence is everywhere. But the church is where it equips you to be a saint, to go out and share the gospel. I'm preaching way harder than you're enjoying. You know what I mean? Like, this is what it's supposed to be about. This is what the church is supposed to be about. Grow, God, give, go. If you are in here right now, you are in one of those steps. You're either learning about God. You're, you, you need to get in a small group so you can be guided about God. You need to start giving and you're in serving and giving your finances. Or you need to start serving in the community. God, it's always about those steps. It's the purpose of the church. Good night. All right, number two, I've yelled enough. It was the truth about the Christian. First was the truth about the church. Second was the truth about the Christian. Here's what he said in verse 51. He said, you stiff-necked people, I'll talk about that in a moment, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. It's obviously uh, hypothetically. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. They even killed the righteous one, Jesus. Stephen says, listen, y'all. First of all, he called them stiff-necked people. They knew that term because what it was is whenever you had like an oxen and you were trying to direct the oxen, if the oxen, if you were trying to tell it to go straight and it kept wanting to go right, they'd call it stiff-necked. That's what they'd call it because they were directing it by its neck. So, oh, it's stiff-necked. So he's saying, look, yep. Christ is trying to teach you something, but, but you're stiff-necked. You won't listen. And here's what he's trying to teach you. He's trying to teach you that for some reason, you religious people, you Jewish people, keep rejecting the people that God sends to help you. He wanted them to understand that the Jewish people had a way of predetermining, watch this, who they thought was worthy enough to be used by God. They had this way of like kind of just saying, yep, like if you do this and you do that, you do this, predetermining whether or not you could be used by God. So what does Stephen do in those 51 verses? He brings up Abraham, Moses, and Joseph again. And just like he used them as examples to the fact that God spoke to them outside of the temple, he brings them up again and he says, listen, Abraham had the spirit of God with him and he didn't even go to Canaan when God told him to at first. He said, Moses had the presence of God with him, and he was beating people. People were rejected. He told God he couldn't speak well. He said, Joseph had the presence of God with him, and guess what? His whole family rejected him. He was in prison, and God was using him in prison. Stephen's trying to say, y'all got it all wrong. I want you to see people that you've read about your entire life and understand that God uses who God wants to use. Watch this. Stephen was preaching the truth that the gospel is not exclusive, but exclusively inclusive. I shared that as well in John. 
And here's the best thing. Stephen was saying, listen, a relationship with God is not based on institutional religion or customs. It's based on a basis of faith. They were preaching what they believed was that if people were going to be religious people, they had to follow the law. And so when Stephen starts preaching faith, they go, you are blaspheming against the law. He said, no, the law's good. The law can be good, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that through Christ, we are believers by faith. Stephen says, I'm not blaspheming the temple. You're just telling it wrong. I'm not blaspheming the law. You're just telling it wrong. He wanted them to understand the truth about the church, that this is what its purpose is, but it's not the only place where you can experience God. He wanted them to understand the truth about those who follow Jesus, that it wasn't about institution, institutional education. It wasn't about all these different traditions. It was about faith in Jesus. Do you know that the word Christian is only in the Bible three times? It's only in the Bible three times. The very first time that the word Christian shows up in the Bible is in Acts chapter 11. We haven't got there yet. The actual verse goes something like this. It says, then they refer to the disciples as Christians. The reason why you don't see it a lot is because in that moment when that happened, the term Christian was being used as a derogatory term. They, 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 they wanted to take this group of people that were believing the same thing, doing the same thing, and they wanted to categorize them. So it would be very similar to you and I when we were in high school and we looked at a group and we said, oh, those are the nerds. Or we said, oh, those are the jocks. Or we said, oh, those are the rednecks. Or whatever, whatever, that, whatever your school looked like. Whatever that term was. It was not a nice term. As a matter of fact, it was a disrespectful term. But what you were doing is you were putting a label over a group of people who were similar. And so what happened is the people stepped back and saw these Christ followers and they wanted to put a, a name over them. They wanted to put a label on them. And so they labeled them Christians. So when it says they called the disciple, referred to the disciples as Christians, it wasn't a positive thing. They weren't like, yeah, we're Christians. It was disrespectful. So much that, watch this, those that were following Jesus were being called Christians, but those that were following Jesus did not refer to themselves as Christians. They never adopted the name. They never said, oh, let's quit calling ourselves what we normally, and let's call ourselves Christians. You don't see a lot of people going, hey, maybe we should start referring to ourselves as the nerds. What do you think about that? You think we should be that? You know, maybe, we, maybe we should call our group the rednecks. Like, that didn't happen. Nobody was taking on the term Christian. And because of that, please listen to me, because of that, the Bible never defines clearly the term Christian. So therefore, the term Christian can be very vague, which is why in our culture today, you can say, I'm Christian, and you can believe this. And then you can say, I'm Christian, and you can believe that. It's why you can be over here and say you're Christian and be over here and say you're Christian because the term is so vague, it was never clearly defined in Scripture that what has happened, at least as of 2021, is we, we, instead of using it as a term that shows how faithful we are to following Christ, we use it as something we hide behind to do what we want to do. Listen, when we use the word Christian, we, because it wasn't clearly defined, we redefine it and define it until we are fine with 
the way we're acting. I'm going to say it again because I don't feel like you understood it the way God told it to me. In our culture today, because it was never clearly defined, we take the word Christian and we define it and then we redefine it and then we redefine it again until whatever it is that we are doing, we are fine with it. We hide behind it instead of it being something that keeps us faithful to what we're supposed to be doing. The term that Christians called themselves was a word that wasn't up to interpretation. It wasn't vague. It was straightforward. It was specific. And honestly, it was scary. They referred to themselves as disciples. They didn't call themselves Christians. The other people, that's why I said they referred to the what? Disciples as Christians. They referred to themselves as disciples. Culture referred to them as Christians. But they knew that the term Christian was too vague and it wasn't specific enough and it didn't therefore keep them a straight and narrow road. So they stuck with disciple because disciple had a clear definition. Disciple meant apprentice of, or follower of. So when they said they were a disciple of Jesus, it meant that they were an apprentice or a follower of Jesus. And that culture understood, watch this, that this is the body language of a disciple. Uh, excuse me, sir. I have to make a decision. What, what decision would you make? Okay, thank you. And then they went and did that decision. Uh, I have to go left or right, sir. Would you go left or right? You would go left? Okay. And then they went and went left. Uh, I have to say something about this. What, what would you say, sir? And then whatever they said, they went and said. That was the actions of a disciple. It wasn't, hey, what would you say? And then I'll go back and think about it. That's how I should feel. It was whatever you say, I say. Whatever you do, I do. One reason why Paul said, follow me as long as I follow Christ. Do what I'm doing. I'll do what Christ does. You do what I do. There was no, hey, how does Jesus respond? Uh, I don't know that I really feel that way. It's whatever Jesus says, I say. Whatever Jesus did, I do. It's what would Jesus do literally? What would he do? And that's what I do. Stephen said, you have communicated this, this Christianity or, or this religiosity in this way that as long as they do certain things that you like, then they must be religious people. Stephen said, it's by the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. So therefore, you are a Christ follower. The purpose of Christians is to be like Christ, to love like Christ, to do what Jesus does. Christian is vague. Jesus follower is very specific. So here's Stephen on trial. And they're like, all right, brother, you got to say something to save your life. You've been blaspheming against the temple. You've been blaspheming against what it means to be a religious person. What do you got to say for yourself? And Stephen says, I'm not defending myself, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth about the church is it is not the only place where you can find the presence of God. It is a place that the presence of God will be if we will gather and welcome him there. But the presence of God is in you. But the church is the place that equips those who are carrying the presence of God to do the work of the kingdom. Get it right. And he said, the second truth is this thing about the law. So the law was good. When, when, when you made it, it was good. But now it's been 
perverted, and, and now you're using it as this stipulation by which you decide whether somebody's worthy enough to be a Christ follower. That's not how it works. They follow Christ because they believe in Christ. But how they live their life, it's not Christian, it's not about if they have that on their Facebook status. It's about do they walk, talk, and act like Jesus. Amen? Hard word for the fourth, huh? Y'all thought I was gonna come up here and preach about fireworks. So it's the two truths, but I told you there was a lie, right? Now here's the deal. The lie is not something Stephen said. It was an interpretation I had. And I think it's the same interpretation we all would have made. And so because of that, the actual sentence of the lie, I, I, I was going back and forth, four, five, six, seven, eight different things. I settled on two. You can kind of put whatever you want. But, but here, here was the lie. The lie was you can't change the world. That was the lie. Or the gospel doesn't work. That, that was the two I landed on, this lie that we're kind of told by the enemy that, hey, you can't change the world. It's too big. You can't, or the gospel doesn't work. And here's how I got, don't put the scripture up yet, but here's how I got there. Stephen preaches a 51-verse sermon, and then they murder him. You imagine if I got done preaching today and I walked off stage and Travis met me in the corner. He was like, man, great sermon. I was like, thanks, brother. And I walked out, and then all y'all came out and stoned me and killed me. Wow, I got really dark. Everybody's like, man, Troy. I was a kind of a joke, guys. Hopefully y'all aren't carrying rocks. Um, my point is, nobody would leave going, man, I guess his sermon was really successful today. So, so when you read Acts 7 and you see him preach this, you're like, yeah, man, preach it, Stephen. And then they murder him. You're like, well, I guess that was a failure. In fact, the scriptures say that they were cut to the heart. And then it says, then they started to gnash their teeth. So they were cut to their heart at first, like they were actually kind of getting it, and then they got offended, backed up, and then, as we'll read in a minute, they like chased after him and stoned him and killed him. And I don't know about you, but I'm still trying to fight this temptation that the enemy puts in me to run to results. You know what I mean? To where if, is this good? Let me go look at results. Is God in this? Let me go look at results. Did I do good? Let me go look at results. I was telling, a, I was actually, I was telling Scout, we were at the gym Saturday. I said, I wonder how many people have never heard the gospel because Christians won't share it because we're too worried whether or not it'll work or not. Right? Like we're so worried about results that we start to identify whether something actually worked or not. Well, how many people were there? Well, how much money did you make? How many likes did you get? We, we, we look for results to let us know whether or not we should have done it. So if that's where we are mentally, if that's the lie we're being told, then Acts chapter 7, watch this, Stephen's a failure. Right? For going by results, he's dead. Can't lose more than that. He doesn't resurrect like Jesus. He's dead. He did. So if we looked at Acts 7, we said, man, it was a failure. But then when you keep on reading Acts 7, something happens. Watch this. So we're going to read 57 through 60. This is the very end of Acts 7. It says, as they covered their ears. This is so great. So he's preaching, right? And they're like, oh, stop it. They cover their ears, and they're yelling at the top of their voices. Stop it. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city, and they begin to stone him. 
He's just preaching. The temple, no, not the temple. He, God's presence can be in you. No, you don't have to follow the law. It's by basis of faith. No, stop it, stop it. Pow, pow, pow. Meanwhile, pow, pow, pow. Meanwhile, while, pow, pow. While it's happening, the witnesses, those that are watching this man get murdered in the streets, laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Pause there, keep reading, we'll come back. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you recognize that pattern? Who was the last person being murdered that said, do not hold what they do against them? Jesus Christ. And when he said this, the Bible says he fell asleep. He did die, but because he'll be resurrected in eternity, that's what it means by sleep. The thing that got me on that is Stephen is preaching. They murder him. While he's being murdered, he's screaming out, glory to God. He's screaming out, Father, don't judge them. He's screaming out all these things. And meanwhile, over there in the corner is this guy named Saul. And the witnesses are laying their jackets at his feet. In case you don't know this, Saul becomes Paul. So Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament, who wrote all the letters to Corinth and Galatia and all these different places, it's a guy who wrote to Timothy, one of probably the most incredible men of God ever to share the gospel. He will actually be the forerunner who takes the gospel to the Gentiles. He was there. And he watched a man preach the gospel, get murdered for preaching it, and die screaming, God, do not hold it against them. And we're going to read in a few chapters where Saul meets the presence of God and his name's changed to Paul. And he goes from killing Christians to converting them. And I have to believe, church, that something happened all the way back there when he was watching what happened to Stephen. And I need us to understand that in 2021, when the whole world's going crazy, when everybody wants to believe this and everybody wants to believe that, and listen, you don't have, uh, you don't have answers for everything. It's okay. Just because you're a believer in Jesus doesn't mean you have to know everything. But listen to me, in the middle of that culture, are you ready? The gospel still works. The message of Jesus still pierces hearts. He still died for sinners. Every person, no matter what they believe, Jesus loves them and died for them. And you, look at the person beside you. Say, look, you look at me, Joe. Hey, look at, say, you, you, you can change the world. Now, Stephen didn't know he was doing that. God didn't send him a text message and go, by the way, when you die tonight, Saul's going to be there, and I'm going to turn Saul to Paul, and he's going to write one-third of the New Testament. All these people are going to get saved for Jesus. He didn't know that, but he was faithful to do what God called him to do. He let the church be the church. He followed Jesus Christ as a disciple and through him, God saved Saul and changed the world. 
So in this story, you may be Saul or you may be Stephen. But regardless, the gospel still works. So I said all of that at a very loud volume for these two reasons. Number one, if you're in here, you're watching online and you've never given your heart to Jesus, Jesus Christ died for you even while you were yet a sinner. The gospel still works. You accept Christ by believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, you will be saved. You will be saved. And we as a church would do our best to help disciple you in the process. But you need, to, you need to believe in your heart and you need to confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You can do that now. You can ask for help after service. We can walk you through it. You can even text that number and just say, hey, I'm interested in salvation. I don't know what to do. And we can reach out to you personally. That's step number one. Step number two, to every believer that's in here, and you're the real believers because you're in church on 4th of July. You really love Jesus. Everybody else, you know, they'll be mowing your grass in heaven. Don't worry. Listen to me, here in person, here online. Guys, the gospel still works. Can we please shake off this deal of, of I don't know if it's gonna work, I don't know what they'll say to me, I don't know if they're gonna like me anymore. I don't know, who cares? The Bible says you plant the seed and you water the seed, God makes it grow. Some of the conversations you're having, you're planting seed. That, that person you talk to who, who flips you off and walks away, you water the seed. God may get them down the road. Maybe he didn't get them right there, but he'll get them down the road. But listen, we are never going to change the world coming to church 12 Sundays a year because we won't be equipped enough. We won't be strong enough. I'm talking to believers every day who are going. One of my good friends is going through some stuff right now with his eyes and with, he's having MRIs. And you know who's praying for him? His small group. Who prays for you when you're sick? I don't know anybody. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is what it's about. God said, I've given you everything you need. The church is for you. Now you go share the gospel and literally lead people to Christ, see people saved. That's what he's called us to do. Right, church? And in 2021, it's never been needed more than right now. So I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you right now. I thank you for everybody that's in this room. Because I know, I know they love you. I know they're passionate about the church. I know they're passionate about seeing people be saved. Father, thank you for this group. Thank you for those that are watching online. Thank you for what you've done here in Victory. Thank you for what you've done in every church in our area, every church in our world. Father, raise us up to preach the gospel. Get us so passionate right now to tell people about you. People need to know about you. And the devil's going to try to tell us that, that it won't work and that people don't want to hear anything we have to say, that we're not going to be successful. And Lord, let us set on the peace and the truth that even in Stephen's death, you found Saul. Lord, help us to understand the truth about the church and the purpose of the church. Help us to understand the truth of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, not a Christian. Help us grow up, Lord. Help us get tough skin, soft hearts. Help us be bold about the love of Jesus. Help us share the gospel with our families, with our coworkers, with our community. Use us to change the world. 
pray for every person that's watching, that's here, that they've never accepted you as their personal Savior. Father, I pray you draw their hearts right now, that they'd be saved today. What better day to be saved than on 4th of July? Thank you, Father. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that your presence is here, but it's going to go with me when I leave. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Thank you for my second chance and my third chance and my fourth chance and my fifth chance and my sixth chance. Anybody on a seventh chance? Thank you, Father, for your grace. Equip us, lead us. I pray that every one of us would be burning this week with a heart to tell somebody about Jesus. Go with us, I pray, Father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.